if you're just now joining us, you can kind of be ca uh, caught up uh, as to where we are by looking in your worship guide the big idea of the book and then the big idea of today's message. The big idea of the book, faith works. Genuine, saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ always is accompanied by the, the new birth, and it always is accompanied by growth, which reveals itself in practical, God-honoring, gospel-centered living. We don't reach instant perfection the moment that we come to Christ or at a later point in time. No instant sanctification, but it is a growing process. And there are many people today who would give testimony, I would, to the fact that the Christian life is, as one person has said, three steps forward, two steps back. But hopefully, you are on an onward and an upward progression to know and to obey the things of Christ. Now, we hone in on today's message, James chapter 4, 11 and 12, and it is this, that genuine faith produces genuine humility that refuses to criticize and to judge other believers. You'll notice the title, The Deadly Sin speaking against other Christians. That's not over the top. Once we get to the end of this time today in our study, I hope that you will see that speaking against one another, speaking evil against one another as brothers and sisters in Christ is deadly for others as well as for you. So with that, let me ask you to stand with me as uh, we read God's Word. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Stop it! Now that, that's the impact of James' command here. Where that earlier, a couple of weeks ago, when we were looking up there, when James tells us to do things, the impact of those verbs is start doing something. The impact of this verb is different. When it says, do not speak, the literal impact is stop doing something that is going on. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, have you noticed that he used brother three times? speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? God, our, our Father, every portion of this book is important. And every part of this book reveals the Lord Jesus Christ and 
in some way the gospel message and how we are to, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as family, we are to live out the implications of our salvation. And so, Lord, I, I pray that as we jump back into James, as we look at this incredible passage of Scripture, that you would give us not only a, a, an understanding of the words here and the meaning, but God, we need more than that. We need wisdom so that we can take in those words, the, the thoughts, the concepts that you give us, and then we can live those out among ourselves as a family of the forgiven here at Heritage. Lord, I, I pray that today, that, that beginning with me, I would not look and say this, this refers to someone else, but Lord, I would say, uh, here am I, I'm, I'm the person, let it begin with me. Father, we thank you that we can pray and, and are confident that you hear us and that you answer us. Lord, I also want to lift up some of the ministries in our church, some of the people who have gone out from us. I think of the Morrisons in Southeast Asia. Lord, we lift them up today and we are happy to be able to pray for them working in a very, very difficult place. Would you guard and protect them, but most of all, would you enable them to speak boldly the name of Jesus? And then, Father, nearer at home, uh, I am so delighted to be able to pray for our wonderful prison ministry. Every Tuesday, that group of people meets here and they send into prisons all over the state portions of Scripture and studies so that those inmates might grow and learn and, and be productive as followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, bless those ministries. There's so many others, but those two particularly we remember today, and we thank you for them. Now, Lord, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from thy law. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to begin today with an illustration, and it's a, a a rather vivid illustration. This is a parallel passage. Two of the earliest books that were written in the New Testament are the book of Galatians and the book of James. And so in the book of Galatians, we find Paul writing uh, a, a very, very parallel thought to what has already gone on that we've already read about in the book of James. He says this, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on to give a very vivid illustration from nature. Does anybody know what comes next in verse 15? It's interesting how the, the, the writers of, of Scripture will use illustrations to, to bring things close to hand. And so in verse 15, he uses the, the, the vivid imagery of a wild animal. Now, he has just said, brothers, you were called to freedom. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity to serve your flesh. 
the things that are just in there that still want to come out, but through love serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled in the words, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says what you're not supposed to do, and he likens it to a wild animal. And I thought about this. I've read this passage over and over again, and I've always thought about particular kinds of animals. He says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Now, I've always thought of a wild animal like a lion, but, but look very carefully. That word bite, actually, if, if you look it up and, and you look at the different uses of it, it's to pierce, as with a sword, it's to pierce. He doesn't say anything about chewing you up. He just says that if you bite one another, watch out, because you can be just devoured, just kind of consumed all at once. And I immediately thought, this is not a lesson in entomology, okay? But I immediately thought that the only animal that really matches a picture of this, and I think it's so graphic, I'm not trying to be gross or gory, okay? Is from the arachnid family. The spider. Now, interesting thing in learning about spiders, and I know that this is going to be a shock for some of you who are Lord of the Rings fans. I can't remember the name of the giant spider who... What? Oh, we got some fans in here. Shalob. Okay. The giant spider, Shalob, was seen to have stung Frodo, but that's inaccurate because... Spiders don't have stingers. There is another arachnid that does have a stinger. You know what that is, a scorpion. But spiders have fangs. They don't have mouths, so they can't chew. And they don't have a stomach. So what they do when they bite their prey, they inject their venom. Now, I think this is interesting that earlier James uses the exact word speaking of the tongue being a deadly poison, not like a little vial of poison, but more like the poison that's in venom. So a spider injects its venom into its hosts. Now, watch this because there are certain species of spiders that eat their own kind They'll find an unsuspecting spider from their own family. Generally, it's the female. I just had to put that in. <laughs> Eating the male. That's why some of them are called black widows. It's true. But they inject their venom into the victim, and it basically liquefies the insides of the victim so they can just con listen, devour or consume the one that they're eating. Paul uses that kind of imagery to say if you bite and devour one another. He's talking to the church just like James is. Be careful 
that you are not consumed by one another. Spiritual cannibalism is still going on in the church of Jesus Christ. Someone has said that when your emptiness is not filled with God, isn't that what we've been singing about? Filling your emptiness with God. When your emptiness is not filled with God, it is sweet to eat your enemy. And a church that does not serve each other and is not filled with God will destroy itself. Let me just apply this in another way. A family that is not filled with God and does not serve each other will destroy itself. A marriage, a relationship not filled with God and serving one another will destroy itself. But is this really possible in the church? Our church? In a family? In your family? Paul believes that it is, and so does James. And that's why I said a minute ago that the force of the verb is stop it. It's already going on. In fact, this is the third time now in this study in the book of James as we've walked through it, you found that this is the third time that James has talked about the power of the tongue, the power of our words, the incredible. Go back to over to chapter 4, verse 10. He says that our words can be a, a source of great blessing or cursing. Paul, again, a parallel. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4.29, one of the first verses I memorized as a college student when I came back to walking with the Lord because I had a mouth that needed to be brought under the discipline of the Word of God in so many ways. But he says it like this, let no rotten speech, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. He also says this in a similar way in Colossians. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, people outside the church. Now, if it's true that you do this for outsiders, how much more for brothers and sisters in Christ in the church? Making the best use of your time, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so basically, between Paul and James and what is going on today in our passage of Scripture is the exhortation to stop reverting as a follower of Christ to behaving like animals. Stop practicing spiritual cannibalism satisfying your own flesh at the expense of others. Now, let me stop and say this, and this is especially for those who might be visiting in our church, and um, you might be thinking, uh-oh, something has happened in that church where the pastor is really getting on to people about talking about other people. I, I want you to know, and I've thought long and hard about that this week. 
I am so grateful, Heritage, for a church of people who, for the most part, when we disagree, most often I find that we go directly to another person and we engage in respectful discussion. And Heritage, I love you for that. Now, I have been in churches, and I remind you that I've been here now 14 years, and there have been times in the past where that was not always the case. So just if you're wondering, this is a great church where we seek to practice what God tells us to speak the truth in love. And we do, by and large, go to each other But James would not have written this. It would not be recorded in the pages of Holy Scripture for us if it were not something that every believer needs to take to heart and to hear. So I will say this to you, to to our students, to median adults, to older adults. uh, Let me just say it like the old saying, if the shoe fits. Well, no, if you go back to to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, if the shoe fits, take it off. That is, if the Holy Spirit has shown you that you have engaged in the past or you're now engaging in speaking against your brother or your sister, you need this warning and you need to remember the antidote that was written earlier. Do you remember the antidote to all of this? It's just just a step right up above it, starting in verse 6. Here's the antidote pretty much to every problem that we have in the Christian life, beginning with verse 6, chapter 4. But he gives more grace. God will give you the grace you need to overcome anything in your life, even an unruly tongue. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud. Uh Uh-oh, that's a big red flag. But he gives grace to people who humble themselves. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep over your sins. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And so the exhortation today is this, will you and I be not only understanding, I prayed that in my prayer, but also wise enough to humble ourselves and receive God's grace to use our words for blessing and not for cursing. Even as Jesus humbled himself, to the point of death, even death on a cross, will we humble ourselves. I like what one of the quotes at the very bottom. Uh, Alec Montier says, if you really are low before God, you have no altitude left from which to speak down to anyone. Now let's look at three things. And it moves from bad to worse, okay? You're going to fill in the blanks as we walk through this. But there are three things, reasons why speaking against a brother or a sister is so bad. And here's the first one, okay? I'll just leave that up there where you can fill in the blank. 
if you want to. Speaking against another Christian, a brother or sister, is arrogant and deadly toward your brother. You can just put the word deadly in there. Arrogant is going to be in all of those because it's the very opposite of, of, of humility. And there's no more poignant display of pride than in putting down one another in order to elevate oneself. So speaking against another Christian is arrogant and it is deadly toward the other person. Now, I, I told you a minute ago that James says brother three times. Who is your brother? It ought to be obvious by now. It's the people sitting in this room, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It may sound archaic, but some of you are old enough to have been raised in a church where everyone called everyone else by brother and sister. Just a mechanical use of the word is no good. I think that grew out of a sincere desire to realize, listen to this, that you and I are part of a family. I believe that that's what James is trying to get us to see. If we really had that, that, that sense of family, being brothers and sisters in Christ, then maybe we need to recover it. Again, I know it sounds archaic. I, I don't know when it became unpopular to not call a fellow brother in Christ a brother or a fellow sister in Christ a sister. I, maybe it was during the days of the that the church growth movement took off. I don't know. Where the church became more of a business than a family. Maybe it was just the culmination of our independent culture. You know, we isolate ourselves. Case in point, we isolate ourselves in our cars. Almost every week on the news there is something about a road rage incident. And, and I know that if we were walking down the street, maybe it would happen, but I don't think it would happen with the frequency with which we isolate each other. And we can be so angry at a distance because we've got anonymity. Social media. It is so easy just to tweet or to put something against someone else when that person is not there. Listen, it's a lot more challenging. Not that we don't do it, but it's a lot more challenging when you're sitting down at a dinner table face-to-face -face for you to say those things and receive those things from a family member. Church, one of the things that we could do, I, I don't, I don't know how to quite get at this. this. Again, this is not a mechanical thing that I tell you to do. Let's start, okay, tomorrow we're going to start calling each other brother and sister and all the rest. No, it has to flow from this attitude, from this sense that you and I really are members of the same family. That you, the women out here who are who are Christians, you are my sisters. You men out there, you are my brothers. We are a part of the same family. We have been bought and washed by the same blood. 
We have the same Father. We have the same Redeemer and Big Brother, even Jesus. And I'll tell you this, healthy families, healthy families are free to disagree with one another, but they do it with respect and honor and love. And there's another thing about family members. They might have disagreements among themselves, but woe be to the person who attacks a brother or a sister. That's the way it should be. So James, in saying don't speak evil against, now obviously slander is forbidden. Slander is when we, we say something that is not true. But he goes beyond that. The, the language is very clear. He goes beyond that. He is saying don't speak anything true or false. Listen to this now that puts down a brother or sister while elevating yourself. And there are examples all through Scripture. Aaron and Miriam did it when they spoke against Moses, marrying the Cushite woman. Do you remember that? They spoke against him. Now, really, the issue was not that. The issue was authority. They just did not want to submit to Moses' authority. Hey, Moses, who made you God? We're leaders. We're just right up there with you. Numbers 12, 1 and 2 tells that story. And it also tells the aftermath. I, I think it's very insightful that down there, the very last statement is what? And the Lord heard it. He always does. And he doesn't just hear our words. He hears our hearts. So Miriam and Abraham... Uh, the Israelites spoke against God and Moses. You just threw that in. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? They were complaining about their circumstances. They really didn't like where they were. They didn't like the, the, the place and the pace. And they complained against God. They spoke against God. Well, the psalmist says, the wicked, God says, you sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. Job's friends spoke against him. And look at, look at the way that he expresses this. We're going to come back to the reality of this. And I'm going to ask a question in just a few minutes. Can anyone ever die from a broken heart? Don't answer that right now, okay? But how long, he said, will you torment me and break me in pieces with your words? These ten times you have cast reproach on me. They insulted him. They crushed him with their words. And then Romans tells us this. Sometimes people are just flat out malicious gossips and slanderers. There's some sprinkled in the body of Christ. I, You know, you wonder sometimes that you... You really wrestle with the fact that a continual lifestyle of this? Are they really true believers or are they just attenders? Not really a part of the body of Christ. So here, here's what, giving these examples, what I'm trying to say to all of us here, when we speak against a brother or sister, we are joining the ranks of rebellious mumblers, moaning grumblers, deceitful slanderers, 
crushing insulters and malicious gossips. Not the best company. No wonder Paul uses the imagery of sucking the life out of people. Now, where does it come from? Well, it comes from the heart. I'm convinced that oftentimes, I know it's been that way with me. I look back at my own life, the struggles I've had with this particular thing, sometimes it comes in an unguarded moment. You ever wondered why the Bible tells us to guard our hearts? It's not just from stuff that happens from the outside. We're to guard our hearts from the stuff that comes up from within. And sometimes in an unguarded moment, we can just say something that is, we're speaking against a brother or a sister. Sometimes people take pride in it. You ever known somebody in the church that says, well, I'm just, I'm just plain spoken. Now, being plain spoken is a wonderful thing. But at the expense of, using words with brutality, the expense of others, hurting people, malicious gossips. And, and I think we all know how this works, don't we? Speak against a brother to someone, hoping to, to lower, now follow me, to lower that person's estimation of that brother about whom you're speaking. And very subtly, sometimes it's not so subtle, you're, you're hoping to make yourself, or let me put it this way, if not yourself as a person, your particular point of view. Elevated. Of course, it never sounds like that, does it? Okay, here are some things that people often start phrases with when they're getting ready to speak against a brother or sister. This way you can recognize it and you can run. All right? Seriously. Okay, here's one. Now, stop me if I'm wrong, and everybody knows what's coming next. But, here's another one. Now, I really don't mean to sound critical, but, perhaps I shouldn't say this about him, but, or even, I like this one. You know, I really like so-and-so, but. Now, th this is very, very important. When James talks about doing this, he is not saying that it's wrong to confront a brother or a sister in love when they are straying into sin. Just look at the last couple of verses in this epistle, in, in chapter 5, my brothers, if any among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back. And so we know that there are instances when we need to confront in love, speak the truth in love. It may be uncomfortable, but we speak the truth in love, seeking to win a brother or a sister back. But that is not what James is speaking about here, okay? Charles Spurgeon said this. I didn't have room for this in my quotes, but I, I thought I'll just give this because I thought it was a great one. True friends put enough trust in you to tell you openly of your faults. That's a true friend. Give me for a friend the man who will speak honestly of me before my face. 
who will not tell first one neighbor, then another, but who will come straight to my house and say, Sir, I feel that there is such and such a thing in you, which, as my brother, I must tell you of. That man is a true friend. We're talking about something else. We're talking about the fact that speaking against a brother or a sister incredibly, it it just is a discouragement, not only to that person, but where there are churches. And I think that there are people in this room, you've been a part of churches like that. It destroys community. It shatters people and leaves them brokenhearted. I asked the question a minute ago, can a person die from a broken heart? It's interesting that the scriptures speak of this. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. Do you know that there is a medical condition called broken heart? Syndrome. I never knew this until I saw this this last week. Because of the chemicals, I don't understand all of that process. I'll have to get with some of our doctors to find out a little bit more about this. But because of some of the chemicals that are released when incredible stressful moments come, that they can weaken the heart muscle and even mimic a heart attack. No wonder, Paul says, that if you bite one another, he sucks the life out of your brother or sister, for whom Christ gave his life. Now, there's a second reason. The first one would be enough, wouldn't it? Knowing that when I speak evil of a brother or sister, it it has a part in discouraging, even to the point of, damaging, destroying, at least on a physical or an earthly basis. But there's a second thing that James talks about. Speaking against another Christian is incredibly arrogant toward the law. this This is interesting. Look back at what he says. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law... You're not a doer of the law, but a judge. So here's what he's saying. When you speak against and judge another believer, you are elevating yourself as a judge over the law of God. Now, is he talking about the Ten Commandments or as earlier in chapter 2? Is he talking about the royal law of God, the summary, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself? Either one. Just like Paul said a minute ago, the law is summed in you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the law was not given so that we can use it to make self-righteous judgments about other people. It's designed to reveal our sins, to point us to the cross and to reveal to us what God expects of us now that we are Christians. 
so we disobey the law when we judge another Christian and put ourselves above the law. You may not realize it when you do that, but you're claiming that your way of thinking is above the holy law of God. Really, here's what James says it earlier. God wants you to be a doer of the law and not a judge of it. Kent Hughes, in your worship guide, says, Judgmentalism is an unwitting revelation of one's own soul because people rush to condemn their own sins in others. The greedy delight to condemn the greed in others. The ambitious charge others with self-ambition. Liars love to call other liars. Somehow, judgmental people imagine they will lessen their guilt by judging their sins in others. So walk in humility. What is humility? Humility is simply accepting what God says about me without argument. Now, there's one more that James refers to. One more argument. First of all, if you speak against a brother, you're hurting that brother. It's arrogance that hurts a brother. The second thing is that it's arrogant toward the law. And the third thing is this. Each just builds upon the other. When you speak against another Christian, it is arrogant and blasphemous toward God. Listen to what he says. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? thought of that is who in the world do you think you are it's really kind of interesting he starts with stop it and then ends with who in the world do you think you are why would James remind us that there is one lawgiver and one judge and why would he remind us that that one lawgiver and judge has the power and the authority he alone has the power and the authority to save and to destroy. Think of Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Folks, If you're not motivated to speak encouraging words about a brother or sister in Christ, and if you do have something legitimate to go to them, and if you feel like that it's enough of a motivation to know that you can destroy your brother with your words, then it should be a little bit more of a motivation that we sit in judgment of the law rather than being a doer of it And then, lo and behold, it should be an even greater motivation that when you and I talk evil about a brother or a sister, we have assumed a role that only God can have. He's the only lawgiver. He is the only judge. And let's remind ourselves that he alone has the authority and the power to save and to destroy.
you and I do not have the power, nor do we have the authority, nor do we have the right. There was one who thought he could ascend. Do you remember that? Isaiah 14. Speaking of the devil, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. We should shudder to think that at times when we have spoken against a brother or a sister, we have elevated ourselves put ourselves squarely in the seat of another who sought to usurp God's throne. So what does God want from his people? John Calvin said it like this. At least I thought I had his quote. Well, I wrote it down just in case. Here's what he wants from his people. He's already said it in the verses that we've read the last couple of weeks. True displeasure at one's sin in true humility and true sorrowing arising from the fear of God. Stop speaking against each other. Use your words for blessing and encouragement. And that may mean at times to faithfully and lovingly and humbly speak the word of God into someone's life. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for your word that encourages and sometimes slices right to the root of something that we deal with over and over again. So, Lord, I pray that today, that if someone has been pierced in their heart by the word applied by the Holy Spirit, they will find in Jesus Christ that your words are true. You give a greater grace. That you are opposed to the proud, but you will give grace to the humble. And I pray that everyone in this room will humble himself or herself before you, receive your grace, draw near to you, and see you draw near to him or to her. Father, there could be someone here today that does not know you. They've come here to church as a religious kind of, of thing that they do, but they have never put away their sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, never, never entered into that family relationship with you, our living and loving God, through Jesus Christ. I pray that today you would reveal their sin of rejection and fighting against you, the Holy God. You would reveal to them Christ crucified on the cross for sinners. And they would cry out to you and say, God, save me from my sins and receive Jesus Christ. 
Lord, that is what we are about, the gospel. Not only to get us into the family, but to help us to remain faithful as part of the family. So Lord, I pray now that today we would make those kinds of responses that we need to. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.